Bible, a collection of 66 different books by around 40 different authors from many different backgrounds. There were kings and shepherds, soldiers, fishermen, doctors, poets and farmers. Some were young, some old, some rich, and some poor. And they wrote, each reflecting his own personality and style. From a wide variety of life circumstances. All the way from palace thrones and bedrooms. To the dungeons down in the palace basement. From seashores to mountaintops. And to the backsides of dry desert wasteland. In their books, the writers issued hundreds of specific future prophecies, all perfectly fulfilled or awaiting fulfillment. And they discuss every aspect of human life, hundreds of complicated and controversial topics. And yet, there is a unity and consistency of message in the Bible, from start to finish, that is nothing short of miraculous. Throughout history and today, millions of people around the globe call this book the Holy Bible, the very Word of God. It claims to be a self-revelation of the Supreme Being, the Creator Himself, stepping out of eternity into time and space to tell us and show us what He is like and to let us know His plan for our lives here on earth and in the hereafter. The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar is your chance to actually hear, discuss, and decide for yourself about this book, the Bible. Stay tuned, and at the very least, you'll hear the beauty, wisdom, romance, adventure, and intrigue of the world's greatest literature, the best-selling, most translated book of all history. But more importantly, God himself just might speak to your heart and change your life forever. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Sophie Dollar. A very good evening to you, everyone. Thank you so much for joining with us each and every evening for the Bible Live broadcast, giving you a chance to read, listen to, respond to the entire Bible every year. Almost any Bible-believing Christian, pastors and leaders, even around the world, believers love the book of Acts. It is a remarkable book, not only for its historical contribution to our understanding of Christianity, not only for its doctrinal contribution. Now, the book of Acts is not the best book to get doctrine out of because it is a book of events, of happenings. Doctrine would be better taken from the epistles of Paul where he explains those events. Some of the things we see happen in the book of Acts, unless we have an explanation and get a sense of why that happened, it could be confusing and I think has been perhaps a little confusing over the decades, over the centuries. But also, the book of Acts gives us a picture of the dynamic life of the Church of God under the controlling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. That is a principal theme of the book of Acts, how men and women of this era now in the church age are to walk and live empowered by and directed by the Holy Spirit. It is the book of the Acts of the Holy Spirit, and we've seen the Holy Spirit guide throughout this book from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Paul has now returned from his third missionary journey, and he is back in Jerusalem. He is being brought to trial before the Sanhedrin again. So I'll tell you a little bit more about it as we approach that reading. Right now, though, let's go to our wisdom and worship segment in the Proverbs, these nuggets of wisdom and guidance for us by one who had a God-centered worldview. Again, we'll be taking from the Proverbs tonight Proverbs on the Bible Life, verses 1 through 15. We can gather our thoughts, but the Lord gives the right answer. 
People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. Commit your work to the Lord, and then your plans will succeed. The Lord has made everything for His own purposes, even the wicked for punishment. The Lord despises pride. Be assured that the proud will be punished. Unfailing love and faithfulness cover sin. Evil is avoided by fear of the Lord. When the ways of people please the Lord, He makes even their enemies live at peace with them. It is better to be poor and godly than rich and dishonest. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. The king speaks with divine wisdom. He must never judge unfairly. The Lord demands fairness in every business deal. He sets the standard. A king despises wrongdoing, for his rule depends on his justice. The king is pleased with righteous lips. He loves those who speak honestly. The anger of the king is a deadly threat. The wise do what they can to appease it. When the king smiles, there is life. His favor refreshes like a gentle rain. End of reading, Proverbs 16, 1-15. You're listening to the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Was a prophet of old. The lamb was slain, just as he foretold. I believe Jesus was the Word made man, and he died for my sins, and he rose again. Don't you know that? I believe. All right, I believe. I really do. I hope you do too as you've come to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust this history that we've been given, the fulfilled prophecies, the life that he led, the sacrifice of his life for us that allows you and me to enjoy a relationship with the true and living God, to experience God in our everyday life over the long haul of our life. That is the gospel that was unleashed in the first century in the time of Jesus, the Messiah, after his death and his ascension. Then we have the church age. The Holy Spirit begins to move, drawing men and women from every race, tribe, every tongue, every socioeconomic status, every background you can imagine, giving all of us the opportunity to enjoy a relationship with God that changes our lives here, enriches our lives here on this earth, and extends our life to be with God and His people for all of eternity. Tonight, we're starting out in chapter 23. As I said, Paul is appearing now before the Sanhedrin, the members of the high council. There will be a plot to kill him. You will notice Roman soldiers and Roman rule come to rescue Paul because he is a Roman citizen. It's one of those details I mentioned before. Why did Jesus come when he came? Why was the gospel unleashed in this era? We mentioned the Roman peace that was imposed by Roman forces, the Roman roads, the common language, Greek, and then the synagogues, the Jewish synagogues. So we'll see all of those enforced tonight as Paul goes before his accusers and prepares to make his final mission trip to Rome itself here on The Bible Life. Acts 23.1 through 25.22, Acts 23. Gazing intently at the high council, Paul began, Brothers, I have always lived before God in all good conscience. Instantly, Ananias the high priest commanded those close to Paul to slap him on the mouth. But Paul said to him, God will slap you, you whitewashed wall. 
What kind of judge are you to break the law yourself by ordering me struck like that? Those standing near Paul said to him, Is that the way to talk to God's high priest? I'm sorry, brothers, I didn't realize he was the high priest, Paul replied, for the scriptures say, Do not speak evil of anyone who rules over you. Paul realized that some members of the high council were Sadducees and some were Pharisees. So he shouted, Brothers, I am a Pharisee, as were all my ancestors, and I am on trial because my hope is in the resurrection of the dead. This divided the council, the Pharisees against the Sadducees. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angels or spirits, but the Pharisees believe in all of these. So a great clamor arose. Some of the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees jumped up to argue that Paul was all right. We see nothing wrong with him, they shouted. Perhaps a spirit or an angel spoke to him. The shouting grew louder and louder, and the men were tugging at Paul from both sides, pulling him this way and that. Finally, the commander, fearing they would tear him apart, ordered that his soldiers take him away from them and bring him back to the fortress. That night, the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Be encouraged, Paul. Just as you have told the people about me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome. The next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath to neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them. They went to the leading priests and other leaders and told them what they had done. We have bound ourselves under oath to neither eat nor drink until we have killed Paul. You and the high council should tell the commander to bring Paul back to the council again, they requested. Pretend that you want to examine his case more fully. We will kill him on the way. But Paul's nephew heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called one of the officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took him by the arm, led him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the Jewish High Council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to jump him and kill him. They have vowed not to eat or drink until they kill him. They are ready, expecting you to agree to their request. Don't let a soul know you told me this, the commander warned the young man as he sent him away. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also, take 200 spearmen and 70 horsemen. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to the governor. From Claudius Lysias to His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. This man was seized by some Jews, and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. When I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to find out what he had done. I soon discovered it was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him on to you. I have told his accusers to bring their charges before you. So that night, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris. They returned to the fortress the next morning while the horsemen took him on to Caesarea. When they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to Governor Felix. He read it and then asked Paul what province he was from. Cilicia, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive, the governor told him. 
Then the governor ordered him kept in the prison at Herod's headquarters. Acts 24. Five days later, Ananias the high priest arrived with some of the Jewish leaders and the lawyer Tertullus to press charges against Paul. When Paul was called in, Tertullus laid charges against Paul in the following address to the governor. Your Excellency, you have given peace to us Jews and have enacted reforms for us. And for all of this, we are very grateful to you. But lest I bore you, kindly give me your attention for only a moment as I briefly outline our case against this man. For we have found him to be a troublemaker, a man who is constantly inciting the Jews throughout the world to riots and rebellions against the Roman government. He is a ringleader of the sect known as the Nazarenes. Moreover, he was trying to defile the temple when we arrested him. You can find out the truth of our accusations by examining him yourself. Then the other Jews chimed in, declaring that everything Tertullus said was true. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Now it was Paul's turn. The governor motioned for him to rise and speak. Paul said, I know, sir, that you have been a judge of Jewish affairs for many years, and this gives me confidence as I make my defense. You can quickly discover that it was no more than 12 days ago that I arrived in Jerusalem to worship at the temple. I didn't argue with anyone in the temple, nor did I incite a riot in any synagogue or on the streets of the city. These men certainly cannot prove the things they accuse me of doing. But I admit that I follow the way, which they call a sect. I worship the God of our ancestors, and I firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the books of prophecy. I have hope in God, just as these men do, that he will raise both the righteous and the ungodly. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and everyone else. After several years away, I returned to Jerusalem with money to aid my people and to offer sacrifices to God. My accusers saw me in the temple as I was completing a purification ritual. There was no crowd around me and no rioting, but some Jews from the province of Asia were there, and they ought to be here to bring charges if they have anything against me. Ask these men here what wrongdoing the Jewish high council found in me, except for one thing I said when I shouted out, I am on trial before you today because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. Felix, who was quite familiar with the way, adjourned the hearing and said, Wait until Lysias, the garrison commander, arrives. Then I will decide the case. He ordered an officer to keep Paul in custody, but to give him some freedom and allow his friends to visit him and take care of his needs. A few days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. Sending for Paul, they listened as he told them about faith in Christ Jesus. As he reasoned with them about righteousness and self-control and the judgment to come, Felix was terrified. Go away for now, he replied. When it is more convenient, I'll call for you again. He also hoped that Paul would bribe him, so he sent for him quite often and talked with him. Two years went by in this way. Then Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And because Felix wanted to gain favor with the Jewish leaders, he left Paul in prison. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Acts 25. Three days after Festus arrived in Caesarea to take over his new responsibilities, he left for Jerusalem, where the leading priests and other Jewish leaders met with him and made their accusations against Paul. They asked Festus as a favor to transfer Paul to Jerusalem. Their plan was to waylay and kill him. But Festus replied that Paul was at Caesarea and he himself would be returning there soon. So he said, those of you in authority can return with me. If Paul has done anything wrong, you can make your accusations. Eight or ten days later, he returned to Caesarea, and on the following day, Paul's trial began. 
On Paul's arrival in court, the Jewish leaders from Jerusalem gathered around and made many serious accusations they couldn't prove. Paul denied the charges. I am not guilty, he said. I have committed no crime against the Jewish laws or the temple or the Roman government. Then Festus, wanting to please the Jews, asked him, Are you willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there? But Paul replied, No, this is the official Roman court, so I ought to be tried right here. You know very well I am not guilty. If I have done something worthy of death, I don't refuse to die. But if I am innocent, neither you nor anyone else has a right to turn me over to these men to kill me. I appeal to Caesar. Festus conferred with his advisors and then replied, Very well, you have appealed to Caesar, and to Caesar you shall go. A few days later, King Agrippa arrived with his sister Bernice to pay their respects to Festus. During their stay of several days, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. There is a prisoner here, he told him, whose case was left for me by Felix. When I was in Jerusalem, the leading priests and other Jewish leaders pressed charges against him and asked me to sentence him. Of course, I quickly pointed out to them that Roman law does not convict people without a trial. They are given an opportunity to defend themselves face to face with their accusers. When they came here for the trial, I called the case the very next day and ordered Paul brought in. But the accusations made against him weren't at all what I expected. It was something about their religion and about someone called Jesus who died, but whom Paul insists is alive. I was perplexed as to how to conduct an investigation of this kind, and I asked him whether he would be willing to stand trial on these charges in Jerusalem. But Paul appealed to the emperor. So I ordered him back to jail until I could arrange to send him to Caesar. I'd like to hear the man myself, Agrippa said, and Festus replied, You shall tomorrow. End of reading, Acts 23.1 through 25.22. get that note one way or the other. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bible Live. The Apostle Paul, now after many years traveling thousands of miles, finished that third mission journey far up into Greece, to modern Europe, spreading the message of freedom, of forgiveness, of cleansing, not only to the Jewish people, but also to thousands and thousands, perhaps millions, in the Roman world who had not heard of the Jewish Messiah. Hundreds of thousands of Gentiles impacted directly and indirectly through his ministry. And now he has returned to Jerusalem from the frying pan right into the fire, as we might say. He has come under close scrutiny by the Jewish authorities there in Jerusalem. Paul uses his understanding of the doctrinal beliefs of the members of the Sanhedrin, the High Council. There were two major parties. The Pharisees were very conservative, traditional Jewish believers, believing in the miraculous, in angels, in the afterlife, and so on. The Sadducees, being a very liberal branch of Judaism of their time, did not believe very much of the supernatural at all. The Torah, the books of the law, were all that they accepted so we've got these very strong differences of doctrine and theology in the Sanhedrin. Knowing that, Paul goes right to the jugular. I'm here because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that divided, of course, the council immediately. Divide and conquer, I guess you would call it. So Paul uses that. Then he receives encouragement from God as he waits in his cell or wherever he is being held. 
This is the second time I remember when God himself got into Paul and said, you know, be encouraged. I've got a lot of people here in this city that are going to believe in me, so be encouraged. Here, he tells Paul, just as you've been a witness to me in Jerusalem, you're going to be able to preach this gospel in Rome. So that must have been a great encouragement as Paul received that by faith. He therefore knew that he could do anything he wanted, obeying the Lord, trusting the Lord, that God was going to keep him alive and give him an opportunity to preach the message in Rome. I'm sure that did give him a lot of encouragement about his future. We see a reference here to Paul's nephew, chapter 23, verse 16. Evidently, his sister's son, his sister and nephew living in Jerusalem. Remember, Paul is originally from Tarsus, could be his nephew, was studying there as Paul had been as well under Gamaliel. We don't know the circumstances. This is the first and only mention of Paul's family in the New Testament. Attribute this to the probability of his being ostracized from his family because of his conversion, because of his commitment to Jesus the Messiah. This young man, this nephew, might have been involved in some of the work of zealots, those who worked underground against the Roman government. It is thought that perhaps he was involved there and heard this rumor that they were going to attack Paul. So he passes that on to his uncle, then to the Roman authorities. And again, we see the Roman authorities involved in protecting. Paul is a Roman citizen. He would be treated with courtesy in his time there under arrest. His nephew would have access to him because of that. When Roman citizens were in prison, their families had access to visit with them and to provide food and perhaps even some other amenities for their loved one in prison. All of those little details cause us to give credibility to the book of Acts, to the historicity of the book. Paul is protected here, again, as I said before, by the Roman commanders, by the Roman forces. He's there for some time awaiting trial before Felix, later on before Festus. Again, later we'll see him speaking before Agrippa. So Paul is there, he is imprisoned, he is restricted and limited, but of course still having an influence for the cause of Christ. I want to talk a little bit about the unsung heroes in the book of Acts. One of the things that his nephew made me think of is the number of times that Paul is rescued or that the gospel is furthered by common everyday people. Not the great heroes, not the apostles, but normal people. I think of the crippled man. Way back in chapter 3 of the book of Acts, after his healing, he praised God. And as the crowds gathered to see what happened to him, Peter used that opportunity to tell others, many others there about Jesus in that first sermon that Peter presents. We've got the five deacons. Now, these men are not spoken of very much. We hear Philip being spoken of. We've all heard of Stephen. But there were five other men chosen to be deacons. They not only laid the foundation for service in the church, but their hard work also freed up the apostles, gave them the time that they needed to preach the gospel. Ananias, this man out of Antioch of Syria that had the responsibility of being the first one to demonstrate Christ's love to Saul or Paul after his conversion. I think of Barnabas, that early believer in his willingness to disciple people and to take Paul under his wing and disciple him and believe in him, giving him his first opportunities. There was Cornelius, this Roman centurion showed Peter that the gospel was for all people, for Jews and Gentiles. I always wonder in my mind if Cornelius wasn't that Roman centurion that Jesus met back during his ministry. But at any rate, Cornelius is used greatly. Rhoda, remember the little servant girl 
Remember all these people, they were just a paragraph. They were just an idea, a thought that went by. But they, in their moment, were faithful, and they had a chance to further the cause of the gospel. Her persistence, remember, when she saw Peter outside Mary's home, standing at the door, she told the others so that they could invite him in to be safe. James took command of the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. He had the courage and discernment to help form a decision that would affect millions of Christians over many, many generations. The businesswoman from Philippi, Lydia, remember her? We have Lydia, we have Jason, this Paul's nephew. Common, normal people. God is at work by his Holy Spirit, and he is working in all of his people. That's you and that's me as well. We have a role. You have a unique circle of influence and relationships, unique to you alone. And God wants to use you in that circle to accomplish his purposes, and he will do that. Take encouragement from these stories. Now we have Paul in front of Festus. He is being passed around. He is being accused. There is a process that he's involved in. As he stands before these men, you sometimes forget who is on trial. Is it Paul that's on trial? Or is it Felix? Or is it Festus? Because these governors don't seem to really know what to do with Paul or about Paul. He has the protection of the Roman law as a Roman citizen, so he cannot be mistreated. But he is boldly proclaiming to them the message of the gospel. Paul seems to get more and more comfortable and confident in these legal situations. Sometimes, like I said before, you don't know who is on trial. It's so very difficult to tell. His conversations with Festus got so personal that Festus himself became shaken by his talks. Now, Paul knew that he was innocent of the charges, that he could appeal to Caesar's judgment. He knew his rights as a Roman citizen, that he would have the opportunity to appeal to Caesar. This didn't mean that Caesar himself would hear the case, but that the citizen's case could be tried by the highest courts in the empire. Festus saw Paul's appeal as a way to send him out of the country and thus pacify the Jews. So you see here, God is using all of these different elements to accomplish His purposes and His prophecy and predictions in Paul's life. See you next time. Hope he reads from the New Living Translation by Tyndale House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your financial support is needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Don't forget, join us each weekday for The Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. Start today, and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.